the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. What does it take to have ridiculous faith? Pastor Nicole has been examining the life of the prophet Elisha so that we can uncover the secret to living a life of incredible, even ridiculous faith. So far, she's discussed how to get a double portion or a double dose of the Holy Spirit the way Elisha did. Last time, Pastor Nicole talked about getting a new anointing to tackle our most difficult problems. Today, we're going to look at a pair of stories that center around two people who were desperate for a miracle. Do you have a problem in your life that could use a miracle? Well, if you do, you've already met the prerequisite for getting that miracle. So let's continue our series. Here's Pastor Nicole. So about two years ago, um, one afternoon, the news reported that 144 children under the age of 12 from the Mexico-U.S. border had flown into Erie. How many of you remember that? Okay, so when they came here, they were going to be housed at the dorms across the street until, I don't know, the plan would unveil or be made. And so when we heard that, we saw it on the news, just like all of you, we immediately began to pray, okay, how can we help? Um, after all, these children were quite literally our neighbors, and that whole like love your neighbor thing is kind of the point. And so we, we said, okay, so we called over there, uh, we co contacted the government organization who were running this relocation program, and we asked them how we can be the most helpful. And they suggested doing a supply drive. Uh, the children needed toothbrushes and toothpaste and backpacks and socks and all the basics because they had come with nothing. And so we said, great, that's perfect. So we planned a supply drive for a Saturday in May. Uh, you might remember, you might have even donated to it. And several news stations covered the event. Other churches got involved. They collected things to bring over in mass. Like people from the community drove up. They dropped off items for the children. It was an incredible response. I mean, unbelievable, really. We hardly got the word out, and people were just bringing things in droves. Um, we had toothbrushes coming out of our ears, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm talking thousands of toothbrushes. These kids could have brushed one tooth at a time with a different toothbrush for like a year. Okay, like, I mean, there were so many toothbrushes, I can't even explain. And um, we had stuffed animals that piled like floor to ceiling. Uh, we had 12 feet tall piles of stuffed animals. We had socks, we had underwear, we had shower shoes in exorbitant quantities overflowing, all in the barn boy space to Mike and that. They were very patient. <laughs> but I mean, we shoved all of this stuff in there. And the next day, uh, the plan was to put the supplies in some semblance of order, backpacks and all that stuff, and deliver it to the children. And I was so excited. I was so excited we could be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I was just about to fall asleep that Saturday evening, all prepped to preach in the morning and administer this big give. And my phone rang. Now, if you've been in ministry at all, when your phone rings on Saturday night and it's a pastor calling, something is wrong, okay? They don't usually call me on Saturday nights. They know that that's, you know, pretty sacred time to be ready for the morning. So Pastor Danielle was calling, and I just knew it. I knew something wasn't right. I said, hey, what's going on? She said, hey, well, the government coordinator from the sports park just called and said they decided to move the children uh, because there was actually threats against them, like threats against their life. Uh, which is terrible, terrible. And I said, that's so wrong. I'm heartbroken about that. Um, I am so glad we can give them these supplies <laughs> that they could take with them, you know, wherever they're going on the journey. And there's just like silence on the other end of the phone, you know, <laughs> crickets. 
And Danielle said, yeah, here's the thing. They're gone. <laughs> I mean, they literally packed them up in a matter of minutes and flew them out of the city. And there's some awkward silence on the phone. And then my next question was, can you think of any creative way to use 5,000 toothbrushes? Like maybe Mother's Day, everybody gets like their own personal toothbrush for any mom they've ever seen. Actually, can they have seven? Can we give each mother seven toothbrushes? I mean, we had a, a problem. There was a mountain of stuff in the barn. There was a community full of people who gave to a tenuous issue, and we now had no ability to make good on the promise. All I could think about was the next news report was going to be Erie First Assembly stealing all the toothbrushes in the city, faking a supply chain, you know, a supply uh, drive. I mean, I just thought this is terrible. We need to, we, we needed to resource these immigrant children. Now we can't. They don't have any toothbrushes. We have all the toothbrushes in the city. And the Lord spoke to me that night. And he said something I won't ever forget. And if you've been around for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say it before. Uh, but this was the moment that the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said. He said, Nicole, the prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. And the bigger the problem, the bigger potential for a miracle. Everyone wants a miracle. Nobody wants a problem. <laughs> Everybody wants a miracle, but no one wants to be put in a position to need one, but you can't have one without the other. Miracles require problems. And so for just a minute, I want you to think about your problems. Not for long, but for just a minute today, I want you to think about your problems, problems in your family, problems in your work. Who am I kidding? You, you probably, I need to tell you to not think about your problems, right? Problems come easy. It, it's the solutions, it's the miracles that come hard. Problems in your city, problems in our nation. Think about your problems, problems with the people you lead or the people that you serve. If you can't think of a problem, ask the person next to you. You can probably borrow one from them. I mean, there's so many, right? We have so many problems. Okay, now, with your problem in view, where there is a problem, there is potential for a miracle. Miracles start as problems, but not just regular old ones. Miracles start as problems that are impossible to solve on our own. If you've got a headache, that's a problem. You can take an Advil. But if you have a brain tumor, you can't solve that one on your own. You need a miracle. If your kid messes up at school, that's a problem. That's a problem you can hopefully course correct. But when your kid is running from God and far from you, you need a miracle. If one person in your life is upset with you, first of all, congratulations, one isn't that bad. Okay, let me just give you a little encouragement today. But if one person is upset, you could probably figure that out. But when your boss and the entire board is upset with you and your job's on the line, you need a miracle. And God is attracted to the impossible because it's an opportunity for his glory to be on full display. You know you can't solve it. People watching you know you can't solve it. It is a God opportunity. So we're in this series. It's called Ridiculous Faith, and we're looking at some snapshots into the life of Elisha. And Elisha encountered a lot of people with problems, and there's two people I want to talk about today, uh, these two people here. And I want to tell you, when Pastor Andy was putting these up this morning, he said, it looks like you told a bad joke and no one will look at you. <laughs> so you can just think about that when I tell you these stories. So let's go to 2 Kings 4.8. We're introduced to this lady right here, a well-to-do woman. 
It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem, a city he passed through often on his way to Mount Carmel, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Okay, so the woman wanted to feed Elisha every time he came through town. It was a regular stop for Elisha. The family was rich. Life was good. This woman must have had food to spare. She was not a typical person or a picture of someone who needed a miracle. She didn't even look like someone who had problems. She had everything she needed, and she said to the prophet, come on by anytime. I'll always have extra. I'll always have food to give you. However, if you read just a little further, it reveals that this woman did not have something she really wanted. She did not have a son. She was rich in every way except for this desire of her heart. And particularly in this culture, the son was really important because the son took care of you in your old age. If your husband uh, dies before you, your son is the one who maintained the family property and the inheritance, and a life with no son would be very incomplete. So that's what she had. She, She really wanted a son. Okay, the second person is in 2 Kings 5, this guy. Uh, It says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Now Naaman was a celebrated hero. Okay, he was a highly respected military officer. He had won numerous battles and he was well known for his courage and his bravery under fire. Naaman had fame, he had prestige, he had power. Uh, He was used to people just following his orders quickly and completely. He had a lot going for him. But verse N ends with this, verse one ends with this. But he had leprosy. Now in Bible days, uh, people feared leprosy uh, much like we would fear a highly contagious virus. Um, Can anyone think of one like that? Uh, I don't know how this okay, culturally would connect. I'm talking about COVID. Okay, so um, (laughs) that's why Naaman's looking away. (laughs) He's like, get out of here. (laughs) So the people with leprosy, they never knew when what looked like a minor skin condition could develop into a full-blown case of leprosy, which disfigured a person eating away at your face, your hands, your legs. And so actually, according to the law, Lepers were unclean, and they had to be removed from society. And a leper was required to stay 100 paces, which is about 300 feet, from other people. They were outcasts. A leper could only hang with other lepers. And so all of a sudden, Naaman goes from a, a guy that is, has power, prestige, he says jump, they say how high, to, hey, could you stay away from us? Because uh, you have to hang out with the lepers. Because we're not sure if you're contagious. And leprosy threatened everything he had, everything he was. No matter how much of a success Naaman was in the battlefield, leprosy ruined what otherwise would have been a favorable uh, life, a favorable impression. So the Shunammite woman and Naaman, they had problems. They had not just ordinary problems, they had problems they could not solve. Both of them were actually very wealthy, but money wasn't gonna buy healing and money wasn't gonna buy a son. And so they were stuck. And we see uh, in the scripture, the Shunammite woman uh, eventually is uh, gifted a son. She becomes pregnant, she, she births a son. 
It's this incredible miracle, really, uh, because she wasn't able to have a son for a long time. This was a huge deal. Uh, Everything the woman wanted, everything the woman had prayed for, uh, she had. Uh, We don't know about how old the son was. We we think he was maybe 10 or, or 12 years old when we see what happens here. But in 2 Kings 4, it says one day that son, that, that miracle of a child, was working out in a field. And he came into the house shouting his head was hurting. And in just a few hours, the boy dies. Maybe it was an aneurysm or something of that nature. And the woman is devastated. I mean, can you imagine? In fact, some of you can This woman prays for this child, prays for this child, and she could not believe this was happening. It's as if she asked for a miracle, got a miracle, and then the miracle was taken away. She just did not know what to do. She had prayed so hard for her son. So you know what she did? She went back to the place where God did the miracle the first time. She said, all right, well, I asked Elisha the first time for this son. I'm going back again. And she gets on her donkey or whatever it is, and she rides to find Elisha. And she finds him at Mount Carmel, which is about 15 miles away, which is quite a way on a donkey. And she begged him to come and save her son. She knew where to go for her miracle. She said, I was here once before. I know that that you can do a miracle. I'm going to go back to that place and ask you to come again. This woman had great faith. She didn't believe for just one miracle. She believed for two. She thought if God can do it once, he can do it again. How many of you believe that? Gary sins. All right, that God could do that again. So she held Elisha's ankles. I love this part. She wouldn't let him go. She's like, look, you cough up this miracle because I'm not leaving here. I mean, that's like the mama bear I've always dreamed of right there. Like you are not going, no one else needs a miracle more than I do. You are not going anywhere else. You come with me. I'm going to hold your ankles until you do that. That's what the scripture says. I am not losing my son that I prayed for. You are not going anywhere until my son is breathing again. And they go back to where his son, her son is. Okay, so I'm going to pause on her story for a minute. I'm going to leave you in suspense. All right? So Naaman, he needed a miracle too. Now Naaman starts thinking, he says, all right, well, I go to the king when I need things. So that must be where I should go. The king, he's got money, he's got people, he knows what to do. He assumes he finds it. So he brings the equivalent of $4 million. This guy had some money, probably all he had. And he goes to the king. And I want to read to you what happens. He writes a letter to the king. This is what happened in 2 Kings 5-7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy, seeing that how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? So actually, this request made the king mad. The king was like, this is insulting. Why would you think I can heal anything? I'll keep your $4 million for the consult. No, I don't know if that's what he said, but, but, but there's no way... There's no way I can heal anything. Why do you even think that? He actually thought maybe Naaman was trying to set him up and saying, oh, that king's not even a good king because he can't give me what I want. But, but here's the deal. Naaman was trusting the wrong person. Naaman was asking the wrong person for the miracle. Naaman didn't need the king of Israel. He didn't need the king of Syria. Who did he need? The king of kings. <laughs> 
right? He needed the King of Kings. He needed the Lord of Lords. He needed the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King above all kings. That's who he needed. He, he was going to the wrong person. And like Naaman, here is our mistake. All too often, we look to men for the miracle. We look to men for the miracle. We look all over the place for the bailout. We want someone to come in and, and sweep us up and save the day. We hope for the, the right doctor and the right banker and the right boss to show up with the miracle. We pray for one giant financial gift that will change everything. But listen, here's the deal. The miracle isn't up to any man. God is in charge of the miracles. That's it. Just him. God is in charge of the miracles. And so Naaman kind of learns that the hard way. And finally he says, well, I, uh, it is actually his, his captured um, servant girl who is just so kind in this moment says to Naaman, have you tried seeing Elisha? He's like, who are you? Geez, all right, I guess I have nothing left. And so he goes and, and he, he goes and sees Elisha and Elisha says something to him, awesome. Elisha says, listen, in order to receive the miracle, you have to follow these directions. Now, Naaman doesn't like following directions from anybody else. Right? He's, the, he's the captain. He, he likes to give the instructions. And Elisha says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you will be healed. And, and Naaman didn't like these instructions. I want to read to you the passage in 2 Kings 5, 11, 12. Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned away and he went off in rage. So here's the thing, Naaman... Um, He's kind of like a water snob, basically, okay? He's like, the land where I'm from has better water than this Jordan River, so why would I dip in here when I can just go dip there? You know, water snobs. Like, don't tell me if you do this, but if you, like, get the Fiji or the Voss because you like the bottle better, you might be a water snob. When I was a kid, if I asked for a bottle of water, my mom would be like, there's a hose, go fill up a bottle, <laughs> You can drink it out of the bottle if you want. All right, so Naaman said, look, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he allowed his pride to keep from obeying what God was telling him to do. And this made me think of this. Have you ever had this conversation with God? Be honest in this moment, just between you and Jesus. Jesus, um, okay, but this is not how I expected you to work. Like, I'll do anything but that. I, I, I will go anywhere but there. Please don't tell me to make my relationship right with that person, anyone, but that person. Like, that person drives me crazy. Please don't ask me to get up at that time in the morning. You know I'm not a morning person. <laughs> when I asked you for help, I expected there to be a simple solution to this complicated mess that I'm in. Jesus, just not that. And Naaman mistakenly rejected the message from God because it was not what he thought he would hear. He had a preconceived idea, the way God would work. We see that in the scripture. He says, I thought the guy would come out, wave his hand over the spot, and it would go away. I mean, he, he, he followed the, in his mind. He's like, this is how I thought it would go. And when God wasn't meeting those standards, he was not compliant. 
You know, we are often unprepared for the answers we receive from God. His answers frequently do not look like logical answers. They are not what we expect, and sometimes they don't even line up with our prayer. God, get me out of this mess. Just not like that, please. (laughs) Do what only you can do, except if it makes me uncomfortable. When you ask God for a miracle, you don't get to tell him how the miracle comes into your life. You don't get to. You might get the miracle, but not the way that you want it to. The water had very little to do with the miracle. The power wasn't in the prophet of Elisha. The miracle would only happen if Naaman was obedient to God's word. Nothing magical about the Jordan River. There was no secret formula in dipping in it seven times. All that mattered was Naaman's response to the word of God and Naaman's faith in God to solve the problem however he wanted. The same is true for the miracle that you need. For the miracle that you need in your marriage, the one you need for your children, the one you need in your life, the thing you've lost sleep over, the thing you can't seem to figure out, that anxiety, that depression you're wrestling with every day. Listen, the same is true. You don't get to tell God how to work the miracle. But if you do the thing he's asking you to do, if you take God's word at face value, even if it seems ridiculous, you can learn from Naaman's mistake. You can reject pride and choose obedience. Okay, so Naaman, he made a ton of mistakes. He was not a poster child. Ha, that's hilarious. I just, I didn't even know I was going to do that. He wasn't a poster child of faith, okay? He trusted the wrong people. He did. He went to the wrong places. He trusted the wrong people. He ridiculed the prophet. He rejected the original instructions. He wanted to control God's plan A. Okay, you got it? That's what he did. Ready? Okay, 2 Kings 5.14. So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. I can just see it now like, okay, here we go. You know, like angry, right? Like as he's doing it. And As the man of God told him, and watch what happens, his flesh was restored, and he became clean, like that of a young boy. Listen, Naaman, filled with doubt, anger, frustration, didn't even have the faith of a mustard seed. There's no earthly way he qualified for a miracle, but you never qualify for miracles, do you? Never, never in earthly ways can we qualify for a miracle. So when Naaman comes up out of the water, I don't think he was like, well, look at that. (laughs) I think he he probably danced and cried and celebrated. He probably just kept shouting hallelujah, like amen, God is good, God's alive, he does miracles today, he does what he says he's going to do, I'm never going to doubt him again, I'm going to go to the right place. He's changed, not just outwardly, but inside. Okay, so now we're back over here. I've kept you in suspense of the Shunammite woman. So let's see how this story ends. Second Kings four. So remember, uh, she drags him back by his ankles (laughs) to his son, her son. And in verse 32, it says, when Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them. He prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed, lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. 
And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. And Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Okay, so just like we might do CPR to respond to someone's condition, Elisha uses this technique that was known and practiced in the ancient world, uh, probably believed to like transfer life force. He lays eyeball to eyeball, hand to hand. He lays on top of the, the, the boy and, and he prays for him and God responds with this restoration of this boy's life. Did you notice he sneezes seven times? He dipped seven times in the river. He, the boy uh, sneezed seven times. That, that seven uh, word uh, number that means something, seven times, seven dips. The crisis was over. That's what that means. The natural met the supernatural. The plan has now been complete. The woman's son was dead and is now alive again. And I believe the Shunammite woman joined Naaman in shouting and celebrating, probably from across town, but hallelujah, right? Amen. God is good. He doesn't just do one miracle. He does two. And when I come to him, he brings back to life what was once dead. And the Shunammite woman is excited and full of victory and full of hope. Okay, so, so let me end with this. Let's circle all the way back to where I started. Our church piles of stuff. I mean, so much stuff, you guys. No kids to give it to. Are the kids ever coming back? We don't know. What are we going to do with this stuff? And if I'm being honest, it felt like a big public failure. I had all this stuff. We had nobody to give it to. And that very next day, after we realized our supply drive was not playing out how we expected, Pastor Danielle and I were sitting in the office trying to brainstorm and we called the foster care office in Erie. And we said, hey, we've come into a large supply of toothbrushes. <laughs> um, could you use any of these supplies? And I'll never forget that day because the woman on the other end of the phone just literally started crying. The office served so many children in our area that had nothing. And they came <laughs> swiftly. They took away every last stuffed animal, every crock, every toothbrush, everything that we had, every pair of underwear. They took everything, they crammed it into a truck, and kids in our very city were blessed and taken care of. Now listen. But let me tell you, it was a miracle. It didn't happen the way we expected. Nope. We didn't write the script. But God used obedience and generosity to, blend, to bless a bunch of kids. And something I learned in that moment is you don't have to know the plan to trust there is a plan. You don't have to know the plan to trust that there is a plan. We want to know the plan, right? We want to know what's next. We want to see the steps. But often God doesn't show us the next eight steps. We walk toward the miracle one step of obedience at a time. One step, one step, one step. That's what we do. And so as we, as we look at this, I, I just, let me close with this. Here's my question today. Who is qualified for a miracle then? Who gets it? Who's qualified? Well, people with a lot of faith, like the Shunammite woman, she got a miracle. People with no faith, like Naaman, uh, this might blow up your theology, and I'm sorry, but he got a miracle. People who know God and his word get miracles. People who don't have a clue and think you can buy God or persuade him also get miracles. 
People who are desperate and dependent on God get miracles. People who dip into rivers seven times and people who grab onto the ankles of prophets get miracles. Whether your faith is like Naaman's today or your faith is like the woman, I want to tell you you're positioned for a miracle because God will get the glory. That's the story. God will get the glory. That, that's what it's all about is the miracle shows the faithfulness of who God is. And his faithfulness does not waver whether you're the Shunammite woman or Naaman. His faithfulness is who he is. So would you stand as a response? If you're here today and you have a problem, it's ripe for a miracle. That's the prerequisite of a miracle is a problem, big or small. We're going to sing this song and we're going to pray in faith together for God to show up in a big way. And here's what the Lord told me is that this, this phrase, we walk towards our miracle one step of obedience at a time. So what is that for you today? Maybe that's for you to come to the altar. Maybe that's for you to get prayer. We have a prayer team on both sides here waiting to pray. They would love to pray with you. Maybe that's leaving here right now and going to call your mama. I don't know. But whatever the step of obedience is for your miracle... I want you to know today that it is possible that God can do it, that the people that are qualified for a miracle are just the people who have problems, that's it. And don't get all caught up in, uh, oh, I, I don't pray enough, or I don't read the Bible enough, or, or I don't know God as well as I should. Listen, people that get a miracle just have a problem. Do you have a problem? Because God has a miracle. And so we're gonna sing this song, it's called House of Miracles. Again, I'd love to pray with you or if you want to just come focus down here before the Lord. But take that step of obedience, whatever that looks like, and go after your miracle. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that your plan is so much better than mine. God, I thank you that I don't have to know the plan to trust there is a plan. And so, God, the things that are before me that I don't understand or the problems that are happening, God, I can trust you have a plan for that. And so I just give you my heart. I give you my life. We give you everything that we have. We pray that this church would be full of miracles because we have so many problems. <laughs> God, that we would come before you in humility and understand that, God, you are big and you are good and you are working on our behalf because of your faithfulness and because of your goodness. And so, God, we honor you today. We give you all the glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.